137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode 55. And I didn't really feel like I should say this is pixelated paranormal because 30 seconds ago you heard an intro and it kind of seemed redundant. So, yeah, here we are, episode number 55. And this is a great jumping in point. If it's your first time, even better. Welcome. And if it's your 55th time, welcome back. Yep. And, uh, yeah, as per usual, I've got Presto in the passenger seat, and I've got Steven stretched out in that back seat. How you guys been doing? I've been all right. I've been doing good. Are we on the Pixelated Paranormal podcast? I think we are. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> yeah, we've got a pretty good show planned. We've got a little uh, follow-up to last episode. Episode 54, we talked a little bit about uh, Chuck Zakowski and the 37th Parallel, and we got some fun stuff to chat about uh, tonight, but Preston, did you want to... Yeah. Say something. So real quick. Uh, so the yesterday was our uh, first day of our vacation, and uh, you know we kind of dicked around the house, didn't do much, and so today we we're going out and about, and uh, we were going to go to uh, like Newton and all these other places, and just kind of hit all the antique malls. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had stopped a quick trip, and I had loaded up the the Boogie Monster podcast, and uh, mm-hmm. we just got that started, and out from the back seat. Uh, the kids were just kind of talking back and forth and you hear Addy say something about podcasting and Blake really matter of factly said, I know about podcasting, <laughs> my father podcast. And then very seriously, <laughs> Addy says back, I'm really into podcasting. I think it's hilarious because Preston's sitting there listening. He's over there cracking his knuckles. And I'm just like, this, you're eight. What What the hell's going on here? <laughs> uh, <and> like, <laughs> Yep. <sighs> right. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Is Daddy going to have to come back there? <laughs> Teach you all about podcasts. Reminds me of. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, who knows, man? You could uh, you could yeah. give them their own podcast, sit back, and just Sounds rake familiar. in the money. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, uh, it reminds me of something that uh, my co-host for my podcast, uh, Brady, his son, did this week. He's like starting to he's starting to get really good on PC gaming with yeah. keyboard and mouse, which I'm it's just it's not natural to me at all. I like I like I like the controller and he's sitting there playing oh, yeah. Overwatch and he's just getting kill after kill and, and I I can't help but feed his ego a little bit. So I'm like, dude, you're amazing. Like, how did you get this good? He's like, I just taught myself. I'm kind of a natural, like my dad. <laughs> I'm like, Are you kidding me? Listen to this kid. <laughs> right. And then I was like and I was like, Your dad's a chump and walked away. <laughs> That's funny, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're in the kitchen. You just scream out, "Your dad ain't shit." See, your dad's shit. Straight shit. <laughs> well, I mean, like, it's not like he'd be the first, you know, let's just say ten or twelve yeah. year old kid to have his own YouTube channel, but playing games and having fifty thousand followers. So, speaking of which, I laughed at your intro. What's uh, what? What's up, everybody out there? <laughs> what's up, YouTube? <laughs> Well, we, uh, we're going to start things off with a little, I guess we'd call it listener stories or listener comments from Preston. You got some stuff, uh, got sent into you about some, uh, so a previous show and some previous topics we wanted to catch up on. Yeah. So this is, uh, coming from a listener, Gracie. He, uh, goes to lodge with me. And, Does he uh, want his last name said, Preston? What's that? 
Did he, did he want his last name read? Oh, no. Uh, did I say his last name? Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. Sean's going to redact that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. He's, uh, so, uh, Worshipful Master Gracie says, uh, two things I feel like I got to share regarding the podcast. First up, the universe is in motion and the night sky isn't the same as it was in the past. That's important for astronomers so they can better model the universe and understand directions, district time, etc., etc. So the astrological constellations that run along the equilateral line we are all familiar with don't stay exactly in the same place. The age astrologers talk about for hippy-dippy reasons refer to what constellation is on the east horizon when the sun comes up. So where the sun and, and dawn star are located within those astrological signs, so right now they are uh, in a transistory state between two constellations, and eventually it will be Aquarius in the east as the sun rises. Hence, the age of Aquarius. Important for <laughs> astronomy. Astrology, however, well, each to their own, I guess. So I'd assume that that one was in response to our uh, Flat Earth episode and how yeah. people, you know, believe that the Earth is flat. Well, there you go. All right, masonry yeah, right there, proving you're wrong. That's, that's the uh, that's the idea of like the constellations being on a uh, an axis and they're just spinning around in a circle. Yeah. If if the world, if you choose to believe the world is flat, yeah, stupid <laughs> rappers. So so silly. <laughs> All right, sweet. Okay, cool. That's good to know. That's yeah. good to know. Number two. You can't go back in time and change things because of causality. Let's go with the classic kill Hitler scenario. Obviously, Hitler was a piece of shit that would cause anyone to want to go back in time and stop him before he does any of the horrific things. But if you successfully go back and kill Hitler, he no longer exists in history as the asshole we all know. Nobody from your own timeline knows who he is or what he did because you stopped him. None of it happened. Therefore, in your own timeline, you wouldn't have known who he was, causing you to travel back in time to stop him in the first place. If you kill Hitler, he never did the thing that led you to kill him in the first place. Mm. See where this is going? It's a paradox. Causality. Einstein yeah. was a smart dude. So you hmm. could go back and observe uh, like a living museum, but don't touch. Leave only footprints and take only memories and all that jazz. Uh huh. So I'm going to start our first ever pixelated paranormal listener battle. Listener battle. <laughs> I want to ask Grandmaster uh, Gacy. Is that what you said, Gacy? Gracie. Gracie. Ooh. <laughs> Not to be confused with Pogo the Clown. <laughs> I want to ask you this. So if you go back in time and you kill Hitler, and thus killing Hitler then alters the future and you no longer have a reason to go back in time. What happens to you, the individual, standing there in, you know, the rubble after you killed Hitler? Do you instantly disappear or can you then still get back in your time machine and go back into your current day? Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe like <laughs> would you end up being stuck in that time because all of a sudden you killed Hitler and because you changed mm -hmm. the timelines, like you just like lose your memory. Like, wait, where the fuck am I? And you're just like walking around like with no memory. You're probably going to be one of them shadow people. Timeline. And that's how they all that's right. how they all come to be. Ooh, tricky, tricky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've always wondered that though. Like, so if if what if Hitler existing somehow made a butterfly effect and caused your time machine to be invented, and because there's no Hitler, 
there's no reason to invent time machines. So do you get stuck in that era? And if so, in some sick twist of ironic fate, do you yourself become Hitler? <laughs> because of everything you know that happens in the future, do you then take over the world and become like the master dominator of the entire world? It's a twist. It's a twist. <laughs> Look, a drifter. Yeah, there we go. So I uh, I guess we're what we to say what? checkmate, but that's not checkmate. <laughs> Your move. Worshipful what's the, master. What's the listener's name again? Gracie. Oh, damn it, Preston. <laughs> Preston. <laughs> Worshipful but, master. Uh, so yeah. yeah, he's over there just like <laughs> spinning his wheels right now. He's he's gonna he's gonna message in. But I got this. I got this bastard. He's just cracking his. Yeah, he's banging right that now, keyboard. Sending it to banging Preston. Banging that keyboard. I'll send him that son of a bitch. <laughs> right now, his thumbs are abusing that iPhone. <laughs> yeah. No, that's exciting. I want to know what he has to say. Yeah, that's let's, great. Let's, let's open this line of communication. That's awesome. fun. It's one of my favorite favorite things about podcasts. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Oh yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And you know, um, I remember Adam. Um, I won't say his last name. Um, our buddy Adam, Steve, he uh, commented a while back uh, last year about some stuff too, about uh, ghost hunting and stuff like that, and gave us some tips. So that's good. That's what we like, and that's what we want: some more uh, input, feedback, questions, stories, and stuff like that from listeners. So, um, all kidding aside, thank you very much for that, uh, sir. We really appreciate that. Yeah, it's legit. Yeah. Hell yeah. And then now, next time Preston goes to Lodge, he'll get an earful. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, looking forward to it. Oh, good stuff. So um, we've only got one bit of news today, and it's kind of a follow-up story to something. I don't know when we talked about this, man. It would have been probably the first year of doing the show. But there's been some, I guess you'd say, updates on the ancient mummy that was found in the Atacama Desert in Chile. Yeah. And I sent you guys the picture. We'll tag the story in the – pardon me. It said to belch. Um, in the next show's notes on Facebook and whatnot. But yeah. It was this tiny, like, what, six-inch tall skeleton that was discovered in um, the desert in Chile? Yeah, something like that. It almost yeah, looks a little digital, bitty thing, man. Like digital, and, of course. Like, I don't know, 3D image because it's so, so tiny on the little on the little. Yeah, it kind of does. Surgical paper, whatever you want to call that shit. Yeah, <laughs> I'd call it a paper towel. <laughs> but from now on, I'm going to yeah. call paper towels surgical paper. You know what I'm talking about, like, paper. that paper they put down? Uh, hang on real quick. I need some. Uh, on, the, on the bed, on the doctor's office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, like, like dentists yeah. use when they clean your teeth. Surgical yeah. paper. Surgical paper. Yeah, he, uh, it's just this little bitty diminutive like <laughs> – I mean it looks like a keychain to me. It looks like something you would have got at like a voodoo, yeah, <laughs> a voodoo gift okay. shop in New Orleans maybe. You know, now that, now you, that you bring that up, remember how like uh, – what was it? Six episodes ago we talked about the great pygmy and crane war. And everybody's like, that's, yeah. that's a bunch of crap. Well, here you go, man. There's a little pygmy right here. And that would not be hard for a crane to swallow that tiny with how tiny yeah. that With how tiny that thing is, man, man. Like, how do they discover just that one? Like, imagine how if there are other ones, they'd be just be destroyed. Or imagine being in a cave and finding that one, and you don't realize that there's 3,000 of them behind you. <laughs> well, that's actually funny you said that because that's what I was going to suggest for – Another oh my god! There's another picture of it. It's creepy. Uh, like it looks kind. If you squint your eyes, it kind of looks like Beavis. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Cornholio. Uh, so I've been to like <laughs> I think I went to like 35 different caves in the U.S. It's like one of my favorite things to do, which is oh wow, shocks a lot of people because I yeah. am fatter and 
caves and little tiny spaces don't mix. I prefer you call yourself <laughs> robust. <laughs> Beefy. But, the, Beefy. <laughs> but it's like the cave tours I take, obviously, are not like the splunking ones. Like uh, this, mm-hmm. I'm not getting into all that crap. But um, as much as I would love to if I was built differently. But um, I love caves, man. But I think part of the reason is is because... I like being cool and not hot and they're always cool down there. But also oh, the fact yeah, yeah. of that, like Very true, there's just all the caves I've ever been to. They're like, this part of the cave hasn't been discovered. And this cave was discovered in 1860. Like, it's like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? Like what could be down there? And right. I just think that's so cool. It's just like the ocean. Like what is, there's so much ocean and so deep down that we'll never be able to get to like, what's, what's right. down there. You know what I mean? Like it's the same way. Yeah. 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 Same that's way with the caves. Like when you said that, finding this one little one in this cave and then not knowing that there could be thousands of other little creepy you alien found a pixie nest. Yeah, alien pixie embryos <laughs> man it's creepy oh imagine the pixies and the uh, what were they called the tooth fairies on hellboy 2 yeah oh, oh fuck that noise yeah. <laughs> well um real quick on a side note if you guys hear a beeping noise like a big industrial truck backing up it is 11:05 p.m. Thursday night and apparently somebody is doing construction in my neighborhood or something, but if there's a lot of noise in the background, I deeply apologize. I had no idea they're going to be fucking building a house at midnight. It's so. probably stuff with the highway, man. It could it's, be the highway. It's down, hard yeah. for them to work during the day, so they have to work at night. And it's hard for me to sleep at night. Okay, back to brass tacks. Back in 2003, um, there was a strange skeleton mm. discovered in the deserted Chilean town known as the Atacoma or Atacama Desert. And like the picture shows you guys here, it had an elongated skull, sunken eye sockets, and an impossibly tiny body. Some suggest it was of extraterrestrial origin. And a creepy smile. Yes, <laughs> he was happy when he went. Um, in an updated genetic analyst analysis, they confirmed the skeleton as being human. So that's pretty wicked already when you guys see that picture. Yeah, so this thing is about as tall as a can of Coke, and they're saying it's actually a human body now as opposed to being a tiny alien. So once again, damn it, science, you're ruining it for everybody. Right. But yeah, they've, they've nicknamed this little guy Ada, which is a mummified skeleton, and the weird thing about it, not only is it six inches tall, it's missing a pair of ribs, it has a highly deformed head, elongated head and face, and it was discovered about 15 years ago. And they've basically been studying this thing ever since. Well, if we skip through a bunch of medical jargon, basically a Stanford University School of Medicine microbiologist and immunologist took a closer look and they were able to burrow into this thing because of how great it was preserved, extract bone marrow and discover that it was actually human DNA inside the skeleton. And it's kind of argued back and forth that it's probably the skeleton of a child. Somebody else thought it was about eight years old. And then somebody else thought maybe it was an aborted fetus somewhere around 14 to 16 weeks old. And basically somebody just uh, dropped it off in the desert near a church and went along their business. Um, so this. Yeah. What? I, I don't understand. How could they think that? Like, look at this. This thing looks nothing like. You look at these pictures, there's no way that looks like a human fetus. Like, there's like to think that, yeah, and it's, it's way developed. If it's kind of going to go in what we're talking about later, it's like people make up the most weirdest things, yeah, to make sense of something. And it's like, why are you going so far out of your way to try to make sense of this when you could just be like, 
this is the unusual and the strange. Maybe we don't know what this is. You know, like right. I don't understand. Like species <clears throat> of plants or and I don't know animals, whatever you want to call it, are found every almost every day. Like new things are found yeah. every day. Like this could be one of the new things. We don't know. That's true. And I mean, I to answer your question, I think the the simple answer is science. Uh, that's what drives us, I guess, is to figure out exactly what we don't know. Well, some people. <laughs> right. They're very true. Touche. <laughs> well, it says here, according to new analysis, Atta was a human girl. Okay, there we go. It was a girl of Chilean descent. And indeed, she was very likely still a developing fetus when she died, even though she exhibits the bone composition of a six-year-old child. So that – I mean, Stevie made a good a good analysis there, a good observation um, it is strange, and it's going to open up a lot of weird questions about um, genomes and DNA and everything else. Like how how did this happen? Is this related to just the um, the area? You know, in Chile, this happened. Is this common? Is it a once in a lifetime thing? Yeah. Um, they think that maybe the uh, simple answer is that Ada suffered from a rare bone aging disorder. So it's kind of weird, like. Not quite Benjamin Button, but basically they, it was a fetus, but it already grew, the bones had already formed, uh, much like that of a six-year-old kid, now, which is part of the reason why it wouldn't have actually survived and why it actually passed away. My question is, when they do figure out what this is and they do all their science uh-huh. and stuff like that, uh-huh. um, can they make an animated short like they did in Jurassic Park and be like, boom, add a DNA? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Well, I've got pictures. I can easily draw you a character. <laughs> oh, we're on, we're on to something. You can make a lot of money with it. Yeah, a little it skit like being, that. And I might, should I, maybe I should redact I mean, that. if they're bringing back the woolly mammoths, why can't we bring back little people? Like, real little people. <laughs> real, yeah. real little people. <laughs> real little people. Keychain folk, we call oh them. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Keychain folk. They live along the dandelions. <laughs> um, yeah, so they say basically um, she had a bone aging disorder. Uh, she suffered from bone deformitis, um, dwarfism, skeletal dysplasia, which I think is the same thing technically. And who knows? I mean, Steve, if it was a fetus, that could explain why the head was misshapen is uh, something happened. It was being developed and it just it did make it maybe. Maybe the head just got elongated or whatever, but – um, it's basically teaching people that we don't know everything we thought we did about the human body and DNA and everything else. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of neat. It's a really kind of positive twist on this, um, you know, discovery mm-hmm. that we found it, thought it was an alien, and it's not. But it's actually going to be maybe revolutionizing or at least stepping up the game of as far you know DNA studies and learning new things about the body. It could have been disease that died, you know, years ago. Who knows? So uh, did you say it was found in Chile? Yeah. So, uh, the, you know, the the thing with the skull being elongated, <clears throat> they've actually found like numerous skeletons, like full-size human skeletons mm-hmm. that have elongated skulls, and their DNA structure is slightly different from ours. So, she, you know, that, that elongated skull could be uh, the fact that she's Paraxin ah, from maybe. Paraxa, Peru. Well, and there's an update here. Um, It says, on a previous version of the article, it stated incorrectly that Dr. Nolan's 2013 study concluded that Ada was between six to eight years old when it died. Rather, the study claimed the bones gave the impression. Uh, He clears this up in an email saying, I was widely mistaken or misquoted on that point. I never – I only ever said the bone density and mature formation made it appear the specimen – 
uh, if human was six to eight years old. That obviously it was a variance with the size of the specimen. Uh, the genetic studies since then were finding at uh, probable cause. Remarkably, multiple mutations showed up in this human child female with a plethora of mutations in bone development. So basically, um, for another five to ten year study, it's going to allow us to then further our spectrum on human bone mutations and other uh, problems that we've never come across before. That's fucking crazy, man. Well, I'll be. Yeah. I tried to make that as less dry as I could because there's a lot of scientific jargon in there too. But um, that article was submitted to me twice today, once by our good old buddy Andy and also by my brother. My brother hit me up with that that he uh, discovered this afternoon. So, Brother, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, so thank you for that, guys. Sure appreciates it. I've got another news story here about a poop cult, but I'm going to save that for probably our next uh, our next. Uh, off, off I didn't uh, fully read the article, but that uh, one that I sent you guys on the twin astronauts and the one mm-hmm. who'd been up in space for like four or five years, how his DNA has changed compared to his other twin. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, we'll have to tackle that again later because I didn't read the article either. But yeah, yeah, they said his, his genetic uh, DNA makeup was different when he returned, which is kind of strange. But hell, I mean, gravity. That's super weird. Hashtag because of gravity. Yeah. Well, why is um, the earth flat? Gravity. <laughs> if the earth is flat because of gravity, wouldn't it eventually be a shape of a bowl? I don't know. Yeah, who knows? We're no scientists. We've said it before. Yeah. So, um, the bulk of our show, here we are. It's been probably 20 plus minutes. And last episode, we, we had an intro into Chuck Zakowski. Uh, the guy we deemed the 37th parallel road warrior. And yeah, he's this dude, ex-sheriff's uh, deputy, and he's just a vigilante. And he roams the desert and Colorado and Kansas on that 37th parallel with, you know, also, I'm imagining all sorts of like uh, gadget belts and hip holsters and everything else. And he's just investigating all sorts of weird shit that's going on um, in, in Colorado and Kansas and Oklahoma. <laughs> like, why does he have to dress like that? I think I would, wouldn't you? I don't know. It's yeah. Like dog that- if I'm tackling UFOs and Bigfoots and like spook lights, like I'm going to be fucking prepared, bro. Yeah. Quite- I'm going to have a necklace made of <laughs> fake ears <laughs> and probably a bone knife. Yeah. And then I might have a parrot. I don't know. And maybe like a nine millimeter made out of uh, like, you know, like a comet or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. A meteorite gun. I would have one of those. We're going to we're gonna steal that to asteroid rock that Steve's dad donated to the <laughs> whatever Pratt Museum. We're going to make a pistol out of it. That and Sean's going to bring his little sword around. Yeah. I'll bring, I'll bring my sword. We're just going to be three douchebags walking through the desert with fucking Red Rider wagons and <laughs> fucking trophies and knickknacks in the back. I'll just carry, I'll carry the camera. Video, right there, you go. Tape, you silly yeah. Steve will be the practical one. Me and Sean, we're gonna we're gonna get those Bigfoots and aliens, <laughs> right? Oh, but yeah. We talked about we talked about Chuck and the thirty seventh parallel, and the reason why we wanted to kind of talk more about him and more of uh, some of the phenomenon too is because our show is yeah we we are taking place on the thirty seventh parallel. So, quick refresher: what that thirty seventh parallel is in the haunted highway. Basically is the 37th um, line of longitude latitude that goes across the U.S. Um, the 37th line goes right through the border of 
uh, what did I say? Kansas. It goes. It basically goes through Kansas, Colorado, and the middle of uh, the U.S. And then you've got the 38th and the 36th line. Thus, making, don't forget China, <laughs> making in Spain, making two columns, and then that is called the Haunted Highway. And all sorts of weird shit tends to happen on this Haunted Highway. And we wanted to talk more about not only Chuck, which we may have to actually get more on Chuck next episode, because the the thirty seventh parallel paranormal well runneth deep, and our cup doth runneth overflowing, because there's so much weird shit to talk about. Mm-hmm. And every time I'm like, okay, here's an outline for the show, and it's like cattle mutilations and this and this and underground tunnels and blah blah blah, and it gets to where it's going to be like a three hour long episode if we just want to tackle like four topics. So I think this will be our part one of a series of um, the next couple shows talking about Chuck and the 37th parallel and just some of the weird shit that's going on. And um, so this episode, we're going to focus on really just two of the main phenomenon phenomena that he uh, he chases after. And that's going to be cattle mutilations and the Joplin spook lights and yeah, it's kind of cool because these are two of my favorite things, ghost lights and um, cattle mutilations. And they're two of the things that I know got me really hooked on paranormal stuff when I was little. Um, what about you guys? Have you been growing up reading about this kind of stuff? Uh, I wasn't introduced to spook lights until I started listening to Mysterious Universe and then doing this show. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I, I can't say that got me you know, hooked on uh, – uh, the paranormal, but uh, now that I know that the the spook lights are near us, that makes me more excited about going out and doing my own investigation. Uh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Steve, were you like me, just you know, knee deep in cattle mutilation books? Yeah, I never got a book about it, and it's fun. <laughs> it it's kind of funny. Either. It's kind of actually kind of embarrassing. Uh, I never really like looked up anything about cattle mutilations until today. And oh wow, yeah, really? like so I always heard about them, you know, like oh, this is one of the signs, uh-huh. like this crop circles, deductions, shit like that. Yeah, so I never really yeah. knew that like cattle mutilations. I thought that just meant like a cow was on the ground and his gut was ripped open, there's blood everywhere. No, mm-hmm. there's usually never any blood, which is really freaking weird. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's what's fun. Go ahead, sorry. That's, so that was just like really, I was like, holy shit, like I had no idea. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's what's fun about the cattle mutilation phenomenon itself is it's just one of those like check boxes on your list of like abductions and alien stories like, oh, yeah, also uh, cattle mutilations. You're like, OK, great. Yeah, they abduct cows. So what? But I mean, if you if you peel back the the outer layer of this thing, cattle mutilations are kind of to me fascinating because of how many basically I mean, really, there's two lanes of thinking. You either think it's alien or you think it's terrestrial. One or the other, but um, just I guess alien. Just, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I might. I I'm going to get to something, an explanation that I think might actually sway my um, understanding and my opinion of the phenomenon. So, and then I'm going to argue back with some quackery that I know about cattle mutilations and why they might be happening. And that's why I keep you around because of your quackery, mm-hmm. your your general knowledge of Tom fuckery. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, cattle mutilations, first of all. Um, Cattle mutilations, also known as bovine excisions or unexplained livestock death, that basically is a blanket term or an umbrella term of 
the phenomenon of not only cows and bovine mutilations and um, potential experiments, but really any kind of animal mutilations as a whole. So we're talking, you know, livestock, sheep, horses, goats, pigs, rabbits, um, bison and deer, even elk have been reported in some cases, but also this could fall into domestic animals too, cats and dogs. Um, there's been some cases of this kind of stuff happening in cities, but primarily the bulk of the stories that you hear and the really gruesome ones all typically take place out in fields and on farms. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll kind of stack on what you said a little bit, Steve, about the blood thing. Um, traditionally, your common signs in most cases of mutilations would be that you have animals primarily. We're going to, we're going to really focus on cows and horses just because, um, the animals have wounds that appear to be clean cut, sometimes cauterized, sometimes almost laser precision with kind of a surgical flare as well. Mm-hmm. Mutilated, uh, mutilated animals are usually, though not always reported to be drained of all of their blood and have no sign of blood in the immediate area or on their wounds, both freshly discovered and after being, you know, examined and left out in pastures. There's no pooling. There's no uh, curdling, nothing. The the bodies are basically drained of all their blood. Um, in nearly every case, animals are found with unusual medical-style wounds, uh, including anomalous, I don't know, disappearing body parts, you're going to find that a lot of times these animals are missing an ear or both ears or their eyeballs, the flesh along the jawline, their tongues, lymph nodes, genitals, and also their rectums. Yeah. That's right. Their back doors have been removed too. And keep in mind that like when this got really popular it was in the 70s. So the technology yeah. of – well, our technology of lasers wasn't there yet. So it was like – this very precision detail of, of surgical yeah. removal of these things, like it, it'd be impossible for a human to do back then. It'd be a wicked challenge. Yeah. Um, it's not like you can't you can't go into Walgreens in the seventies like you can now and buy a fucking you know one time use scalpel. Yeah, you know half the snake bite kits you buy at like Walmart or Target or any camping store has a one time use scalpel for draining snake bites while you're camping. That wasn't readily available as much back in the 70s when this really just kind of, boom, hit the fan, so to speak. Yeah. So according to surveys taken by the National Institute for Discovery Science, or NIDS, um, mutilation of the eyes occur in roughly 59% of all mutilation cases. Mutilation of tongues happen around 42% of all cases. The genitals are a hot topic. Usually around 85% of all cattle mutilation cases, the genitals have been disturbed, i.e. they've been removed. And the rectums in 76% have been removed, sometimes cored out like a giant apple core. And the usual age, for what it's worth, nearly 90% of all mutilated cattle are right around four to five years old. So I don't know. I'm not, I don't know a whole lot about cows, but we're going to assume what that's kind of out of the adolescent age, more towards the young adult uh, age, maybe the maturity level. Yeah, that's like prime genetic level right there. Mm-hmm. So we're we're past the uh, the veal age, basically, way past veal. Mm-hmm. So another strange factor in the phenomenon is that cattle and livestock have been discovered um, in areas that look like they've been placed there with no explanation of where they've been found. 
So ranchers will be out doing whatever, mending a fence or taking care of sheep, and they will literally stumble upon the carcass of a cow, one of usually their own herd, um, in tall grass, in no grass, in areas that the ground is undisturbed. There's some strange uh, explanation as to why these cattle are discovered, but nobody can put their finger on it. There's just no, like, there's no tractor trailer marks. There's no tire marks. There's no footprints. These things have almost appeared like they just were teleported there or they're dropped out of the sky in some cases. And a lot of times, this is what's weird. And we're going to get into plenty of cases of this, um, you know, cattle mutilations. But when ranchers come across these bodies, a lot of times they're going to have dogs. You've got farm dogs and ranch dogs and everything else. And almost all these cases say that when somebody discovers one of these mutilated animals, the dog that's accompanying them doesn't want to fucking touch that thing with a 10-foot pole. So they will get skittish and very shy and whine and yelp and back away, sometimes run away from the body, which these animals are kind of accustomed to death. Um, you know, they're, they're ranch dogs, so to speak. So they're used to seeing livestock, you know, potentially butchered or a dead sheep or a dead cow. But something else that seems even more bizarre than that, a lot of times your mutilated cattle and horses and whatnot – Large scavengers like coyotes and foxes and wolves, skunks, badgers, bobcats, um, any kind of you know large predatory scavenger animals, they don't touch these things with a 10-foot pole either. They oftentimes will slink away and watch from a distance, or in many cases, they won't even fucking – like they'll, they'll stumble upon it and just take off. So something along these, uh, these cases is visibly agitating these creatures and ensuing a uh, – a sense of fear and these fucking animals want to get the fuck out of there rather than getting a free meal. They just want to say, all right, later days, we'll catch the next one. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, this is what's kind of cool. And in retrospect, I kind of wish I would have had this first case of <laughs> cattle mutilation, um, around episode 49 or 51 back when we were talking about, you know, like the, the presidents and the UFO cover-ups and everything else. And I don't – I kind of wanted to read the story and then tell you who actually turned this story in. But um, Alexander Hamilton, you guys remember him, right? Founding father of the U.S., mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. promoter yeah. of the U.S. Constitution. The man had his fingers in the uh, Federalist Party, the United States Coast Guard, even the New York Post newspaper. He was quite the big to-do. Well, back in uh, April 23rd of 1897 – In Kansas, the Farmer's Advocate published a story of a phenomenon experienced by one of our most phenomenal founders of the U.S., Mr. Alexander Hamilton. And he went on to basically sign an affidavit notarized by 10 notable members of the community of Leroy, Kansas, where he put not only his reputation but his sacred honor at stake to say, by God, this shit is true. And they they took his story. So not to discredit anybody uh, or Mr. You know Hamilton himself, but um, the story is kind of strange. And you have to imagine what it would be like back in the late, late, late 1800s. And this is what he says happened. Last Monday night around 1030, we were awakened by a noise among the cattle. I arose thinking perhaps my bulldog was performing pranks again. But upon opening the door, I saw to my other astonishment... An airship slowly descending upon my cow lot, about 40 rods, that's 600 feet or so, from the house. I called my tenant Gids Heeslip 
and my son Wall, I don't know why he calls his son Wall, and we seized some axes and ran to the corral. Meanwhile, the ship had been gently descending until it was no more than thirty feet above the ground, and we came within fifty yards of it. It consisted of a great cigar shape, possibly three hundred feet long, and a carriage floating underneath it. The carriage made of glass and some other transparent substance alternated between narrow strips of some other material. It was brightly lit within, and everything was plainly visible. It occupied about six of the st- <laughs> sorry. It was occupied by about six of the strangest beings I've ever seen, and they were just jabbering to each other, but we couldn't understand a word they said. Every part of the vessel was transparent, and it was also a reddish dark color. We stood mute with wonder and fright. Then some noise attracted their attention towards us, and they turned a light directly upon us. Immediately on catching the sight of us, they turned on some unknown power, some whirligig, great turbine, and about 30 feet in diameter, which was revolving slowly below the craft. It began to buzz, and the vessel rose slightly like a bird. When about 300 feet above us, it seemed to have paused and hovered directly above the two-year-old heifer, which was bawling and jumping, apparently fastened some way to the fence. Going to her, we found some material fastened in a slipknot around her neck, and going up to the vessel from there. We tried to get it off, but could not, so we cut the wire loose, only to see the ship, heifer and all, rise slowly, disappearing into the northwest. We went home, but I was so frightened I could not sleep. Rising early Tuesday, I started out of my horse, hoping to find some trace of my cow. This I failed to do. But coming back in the evening, I found that Link Thomas, about three or four miles west of Leroy, had found the hide, the legs, and the head of my cow in his field. He, thinking that somebody had butchered the stolen beast, had brought the hide to town for identification, but was greatly mystified in not being able to find any tracks in the soft ground. After identifying the hide by my brand, I went home. But every time I would drop to sleep, I would see that cursed thing, its big lights, and those hideous people. I don't know whether they were devils or angels or what, but we all saw them, my whole family saw the ship, and I don't want any more to do with them. So, that's pretty bold to say. Yeah. Especially in those times, especially if you're Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. So... I don't know. I kind of wish we had had that story back when we talked about presidents and whatnot, because I think it would have been pretty great. But um, yeah, that is a pretty fascinating case. And I checked several different websites, and there also are other news articles published in actual um, publications about that story, too. So it wasn't like just one uh, website had that story. There's oftentimes a lot of people talking about it. And pretty much the story stays the same. Uh, The measurements sometimes change a little bit as far as, you know, 30 feet, 40 feet. 600 feet, blah, blah, blah. But the whole story itself stays pretty much the same. So talking about this kind of got me looking. And serendipitously, um, I was telling Stephen earlier, the first book I ever got about aliens and UFOs was this book called World's Best True UFO Stories by Jenny Randalls and Peter A. Howe. And I bought this book when I was like probably 10 years old on a family vacation in Branson. And we were perusing through some souvenir shop, and I'm just like, uh, that's cowboys, Indians, turquoise. Oh, hey, a book about UFOs. Can I get this, Mom? And they're like, yeah, sure. So I get it. And this 
Uh, this book has the first ever cattle mutilation story I ever read, which really got me to think, holy shit, there's so much more to UFOs than just aliens. And I'm going to read a little bit out of here real quick. It's a pretty short story, but it's something that terrified the living shit out of me for so many years. So near a town in Saga Prefecture in Japan, a farmer was awakened early one morning in December 29th of 1990. Uh, and he heard his dog like barking, this wicked, vicious barking and snarling. And he ignored the dog, even though he'd never heard it bark like that before. And this thing just kept fucking barking and barking and barking. So finally at six o'clock in the morning, he wakes up and he's ready for the usual day's work. And he kind of forgets about the earlier noise of the dog barking and he goes about his business. When he finally gets to the cow shed to do the milking and whatnot, He's amazed and fucking mortified to discover the mutilated corpse of a 12-month-old cow laying on the floor. And half the tongue is missing, and the four nipples had been cored out from its udder, again, almost like an apple core. Surgically, in fact. And there is no evidence of a struggle and no blood to be found. Now, that was in December of 1990. Nothing else happened again until January 4th, of 1992. Uh, same thing. He wakes up and the dog is barking again. And this time he's like, not my fucking cows. And he jumps up, grabs a weapon and he heads to the cow shed and he kicks open the door and he's caught this thing off guard. And there's this small white, uh, he describes it almost like a jellyfish floating in midair. And the object sees him and slowly starts drifting outside where it vanishes around the corner of the opposite end of his shed or his barn. Um, a cow was discovered on the floor with just a badly broken leg, but no other mutilations to the body. So almost exactly two years after the first incident, this dude uh, kicks open his barn door and finds a floating jellyfish getting ready to uh, mutilate the shit out of his cow. What the fuck? <laughs> right <laughs> and then it goes on to talk about um another case that happened in the u.s i i forget when it was i want to say it was the late oh, 1967 i think but it's a very famous case of lady the mutilation of lady or snippy as some reporter got horribly wrong. So if you go to look this up, it is the cattle mutilation story or horse mutilation of snippy. And actually it's supposed to be lady, but lady lived on a ranch near Alamosa in the remote area of Colorado's San Luis Valley. She was allowed to wander for miles through the clusters of Chico brush. Every night she would turn up at the ranch for a drink and a dole of grain. On September 8th, 1967, she finally didn't show up like she did every single other night. The following day, Lady's owner thought, holy shit, where's my horse? His name was Burl Lewis, and... Oh, wait, no, that's weird. That's a typo. <laughs> her name was Burl Lewis, <laughs> and her brother Ben King went out looking for a horse. That just discredits this whole damn book. Way to go. What they found was horrific. When they finally discovered the horse... The neck and head of the horse had been completely stripped of all its flesh. Later, examining Lady, they find that her brain and other internal organs were missing as well. And they describe some of these cuts being so clean, they could only have been made with a surgical scalpel. And as we mentioned earlier, you couldn't go down to the five and dime and buy a scalpel like you can now. 
So again, imagine it's 1967 and your horse has disappeared and you only discover it being bloodless with all the skin from the shoulders to the tip of its nose being stripped off. So Sheriff Ben Phillips suggested that, well, maybe lightning killed your horse. And then after that, the organs could have been eaten by some other natural predator. Someone else had the idea that the horse may have been killed and mutilated by Satanists, which is one of our explanations later on Satan. as to what the hell's... <laughs> Satan! But there's no tire marks, no bloody footprints, or really no blood at all at the site. The only thing they could find is there was some shrubs nearby, I think about 50 feet away from Lady's dead corpse, where they describe exhaust or scorch marks on the ground and some of the shrubbery. But they said there was no tire tracks, no footprints, almost like something would have had to exhume exhaust and then propel upward. Dun, dun, dun. So the bizarre death of Lady started to spread and all of a sudden it's a news story heard around the world. So Burl Lewis was certain that it was not a natural death and she and others had also reported seeing strange lights in the area nearby. Now, her mother, Agnes, who lived nearby, told investigators that a large unknown object had passed over her cabin on that day, the same day Lady did not return for her feed. And she says, I really believe that flying saucer had something to do with Lady's death. And this was only the start. Like, uh, Stephen, you mentioned earlier, a lot of the shit really hit the fan in the 70s, where uh, I think just in the 70s alone, over 10,000 head of cattle were discovered in the U.S. with organs surgically removed and many bodies drained of blood. Mutilation spread up into Canada, down into Puerto Rico, and also reported all the way in Spain. And if you're keeping track, folks, Spain is also on the 37th parallel. And the last story in this book, um, I'll make short and sweet. In May of 1973, Judy Doherty and her daughter Cindy, her mother and sister-in-law, were all driving from Houston, Texas, back home. The night was clearly illuminated by a full moon, and suddenly they saw a strange light hovering in the sky. At one point, they climbed out of the car for a better look, then got back in and drove on. Days later, Judy starts complaining of headaches and anxiety. Now, ufologist Dr. Leo Sprinkle <laughs> hypnotized Judy and asked her to remember what exactly she saw. Because she said they saw a strange light, the four of them got out of the car, looked at it, got back in the car, drove home, bada boom, bada bing, she can't get a grip on things, and she has wicked bad headaches. So he puts her under hypnosis and asks her, what exactly happened after you got out of the car? And she says, it's like a spotlight shining down on the back of my car. And it's like it has a substance to it. I can see an animal being taken up by this strange light. I can see it squirming and trying to get free. It's making noise and it's very uncomfortable. It's almost like it's being sucked up. And then Judy says she has a strange feeling of like she's being in two places at the same time. She feels like she's still standing in front of the car, but also she thinks she's inside a strange craft of some sort. And this is where she watches in horror as some small, diminutive beings take the animal and they slowly put it on an operating table and begin to take it apart. In another hypnosis session, her mother says she began to get scared that they were going to do the same thing to her daughter, Cindy. She begins to scream, and they just ignore her. They go about their work as if it's nothing. They don't seem to have any emotions. They are devoid of any kind of empathy or apathy. 
they don't seem to even care. They just take some samples from her daughter and then she has no more recollection. Ugh. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Is there that. is this book you got when you were younger? Is there pictures in it or is it just all text? Um, they're pictures, but they're illustrated and it's it's pointillism. So you've got some pictures of like listen, uh, listen to you with your art terms. I know. You got a picture of a guy on the uh, burned at Falcon Lake. There's a picture of a guy on the shore and he's like, oh, <laughs> there's some diamond shaped UFOs. Um, there's a picture of a, a sheriff looking over a mountain line and there is an egg shaped UFO like Mork from Ork and two little alien silhouettes crawling out. Um, there is the picture of the jellyfish thing. <laughs> it's not very good. The stories are actually a little bit more, uh, colorful than the actual, uh, images themselves. But on a fun note, this book actually also has the story of the, um, Oh shit. The Kelly Hopkinsville mm-hmm. tale that uh, Rob told us. That's where I first heard about that story too, um, was in this book as well. So I thought that was kind of rad. It's pretty sweet. It's cool. You found yeah. that again. Yeah, it's pretty neat, man. I thought it was really funny that it fell right into this whole cat mutilation thing, man. The, the plot thickens here though, because another strange case of cat mutilation happened in 1997 in Utah. You've got two ranchers who are out and about tagging different animals, you know, writing shit down and checking on all the uh, the livestock. And they happen to remember specifically tagging a very special calf. They tag it and bag it, and they move along. And they said they stay in the same pasture, and the ranchers could have been no more than about 300 yards away from the calf, uh, less than 1,000 feet away. And less than an hour later, as they're making their way back, they find the first calf discovered completely eviscerated. Most of the muscle and all the internal organs were missing. There's no blood, no entrails, or any disturbance at the scene. Um, they do some analysis, and they un, uh, they uncover marks on the calf's remains consistent with two types of tools. A large bladed object similar to a machete had to have been used, and a smaller, more delicate tool, like surgical scissors, had been used to strip the body, but nothing else. There was an absence of any tracks or footprints, blood or other markings of the mutilated carcass or what could have done it, just like, you know, the hallmark of most cattle mutilations. But they add on here something that was strange found about the snippy case we talked about. There's no absent, uh, there's an absence of tracks um, within a hundred foot radius, but then they started also finding small holes in the ground that were punched in. Um, and then, of course, I mentioned two two uh, two bushes that had been completely flattened. Um, right around the same time in 1976, a trail of suction cup like marks were found in the ground, imprinted in the dirt, um, leading from a mutilated three year old cow. The indentations were a tripod form, four inches in diameter, 28 inches apart, disappearing 500 feet from the dead cow. So, pretty fucking strange. So what do you guys think it is? You think it's aliens? You think it's alien jellyfish? I'm gonna let Steve go first. I don't know, man. I I would think I would think aliens. And that jellyfish right. is some kind of weird, but it'd be cool, I mean, to see that. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know, just that, aliens and crafts, man. Like I yeah. don't know. That's Okay. I think because so far back back in the day, you know, like you uh-huh. had that fine precision of surgery and then mm-hmm. you know, blood, like and then Something you didn't mention, the the government, like they put so much they the FBI, they put so mm-hmm. much money into into doing that. It was like I can't remember off right off the bat. I had the damn thing brought up, but 
it's like forty nine thousand dollars back in the seventies to to uh, fund a grant or whatever to fund mm-hmm. that fund mm-hmm. them going out there and researching it and everything and they never got a definite answer of what it was. Right, it's like a lot of money, and it ended up coming up with. Uh, yeah, we don't really know what it is, but we've got better shit to spend our money on, and the grant kind of ran dry, so we're going to go ahead and posse out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, Preston, don't spoil the pot, but what do you think it is? Uh, well, I, I think it's aliens, and I know why it's aliens. <laughs> okay. I'll let so, you finish. I'll let you finish. No, no, shed some light. What makes you think it's aliens? But I, because I, I, I have a story from an abductee, and, uh, you know, his reasoning behind, he was told by the aliens why they were doing it. Fucking then tell us, dude. Tell us. All right. So we're going to call this guy Jerry because that, I mean, I think that's a good name for abductee. We're going to keep it, you know, on the low here. Is this a guy you know personally? And no. And uh, so Jerry was being abducted by aliens since he was like, you know, like 10 or 13 or whatever. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, they, you know, hooked this junk up to a machine and sold some or stole some of his genetic material. And Sperm. so after a while, he got to asking him all these questions. They said, they said, Jerry, mm-hmm. the earth is fucked. There is this intergalactic virus that is making its way throughout the the galaxy, and uh, Earth is going to be wiped out soon. And if we're going to save the human race, we need to create humans, new bodies that are going to be resistant to this this virus. And Jerry, do you know how we do that? And he's like, no, no. How how do you guys do that? (laughs) And they were like, well, Jerry, we steal genetic material from cows and other animals, and we take that genetic material and we build bodies. And then uh, we transfer your guys' souls or consciousness into those bodies. So... According to Jerry, in about 20 or 30 years, uh, those of us who are still alive from this intergalactic stellar, you know, virus, we're going to be roaming the earth in our new cow asshole built bodies. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) Rectum spacesuits. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Rectum. I didn't even know. I thought you were going to do that one. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, life's going to be good roaming around the universe and, uh, you know, cow asshole body. Mm-hmm. Well, that's perfect. Um, that was my next idea here is human hybrid testing and the study of human disease. So we talked uh, oftentimes about aliens and grays and, you know, little green men and how the, your typical run of the mill aliens, your drones, the grays, they're half robotic, half organic material. And that is one theory that aliens are coming down and they are abducting our cattle and they're removing the, what would you call it, malleable soft tissue of animals so they can use that to basically uh, mix up a bunch of Play-Doh <laughs> and make these little creatures. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. That was one of the more cockamamie ideas here. But uh, back on task. So laboratory reports carried out by some mutilated animals <laughs> – Hang on. <laughs> I, mean, I typed that wrong. That sounds like the mutilated animals are actually doing their own studies on themselves. <laughs> well, Jerry, this is the worst case of being cut in half I've ever seen. Twist. Twist. <laughs> Plot twist. Laboratory reports carried out on some mutilated animals have shown unusually high or low levels of vitamins and minerals found in tissue samples. Um, there are presence of chemicals not normally found in animals. 
However, not all animals being mutilated display these anomalies. So in one case documented in New Mexico by police and FBI, an 11-month-old bull belonging to a Mr. Manuel Gomez of Dulce, New Mexico – uh, you know, we talked about Dulce before, was found mutilated on March 24, 1978. It displayed classic mutilation signs, including the removal of the rectum, the sex organs, and what appeared to be a sharp and precise instrument used to remove its internal organs. These are all classic signs found uh, parallel to animal mutilation. But here's what's weird about this case. Both the liver and the heart were white and mushy. Both organs had the texture and consistency of peanut butter. Mm. Yeah. Creamier uh, the animal's heart as well as bone and muscle samples were sent off to the Los Alamos Scientific Laboratory. And they did some studies and they did find the um, occurrence of naturally occurring clostridium bacteria in the heart. But they were unable to reach any conclusions of what actually um, could. So I got a question real quick. Was it more like Peter Pan peanut butter <laughs> or like – you know, chunky peanut butter, like jiffy chunky peanut <laughs> right, butter. Right, right. Um, scientific jargon basically here says they found um, the naturally reoccurring bacteria in the heart, but they were unable to reach any conclusion because the possibility of that bacteria represented post-mortem contamination. So basically they're saying the bacteria is not normally found in a heart until after it's dead, but they found the cow dead. So I think we're going to go ahead and just throw that out. The court will not allow it. Um, they found that the animal's liver was completely devoid of any copper and contained four times the normal amount of zinc, potassium, and phosphorus. Scientists performing the analysis were unable to explain the anomalies. Now, this is what's strange. In a lot of cases, the blood is missing from the animal. In this case, blood samples were taken from the scene but reported to be not red or crimson but light pink in color. And after several days of being in, you know, petri dishes or test tubes, the blood did not coagulate or clot. It stayed in its liquid form. Furthermore, this specific case, the animal's hide was found to be unusually brittle for a fresh death because it had only been dead for five hours, supposedly, whenever the skin had been tested. And the flesh underneath the removed hide was found to be severely discolored. And through some more testing, they did find traces of chemicals that were used for anticoagulogenic purposes, saying that maybe something could have injected it with this chemical to drain out most of the blood more easily. Hmm. So that's really strange. You've got eyeballs, buttholes, lips, and other parts missing from almost all these cases. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There could be some pretty easy ways to explain this because if we want to err on the side of uh, science, missing or mutilated lips, anuses, and genitalia could be explained as simply contraction of missing and damaged areas due to dehydration. So something dies, the water gets sucked out, and maybe the butthole just fell out. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the lips just shriveled back. So the butthole falls out and like a coyote eats it. Like it's like, fuck the rest of the cow. I'm just getting the ass, baby. <laughs> like that video of that, <laughs> that dead elephant and that hyena starts eating its butthole and then a bubble pops out the ass the size of a fucking medicine ball and the hyena runs off. Oh, I've never seen this, but it sounds like Oh, you haven't lived apparently. <laughs> oh, okay, so another uh, reason for the lips and buttholes to be disappearing is the fact that small scavengers and animals burrow – 
such as parasites seeking to enter or consume the body in areas where the skin is its thinnest. We can explain missing and mutilated eyes and soft internal organs disappearing by the simple action of carrying and feeding insects such as blowflies, blowflies, and opportunistic carrion birds such as vultures, which are known themselves to peck out animals' eyes and to also enter the body through openings of the mouth and anus in order to feed on soft internal organs. I want to see a buzzard wearing a fucking cow as a hat trying to eat that sweet, sweet tummy. (laughs) (laughs) The absence of blood is explained as this. Blood pooling at the lowest points of the body, where it will then break down into its basic organic components. Blood is the, um, sorry, blood that is external to the body or in the area of the wound being consumed by insects and parasites or reduced and evaporated by solar desiccation. And this one here, I don't buy. Surgical incisions in the skin are explained as tears in the skin created when it's stretched by postmortem bloating or dehydration causes the skin's hide to shrink, split, and often form in linear cuts. Or incisions caused by scavengers or predators possibly exacerbated by the above-mentioned bloating. But that would leave blood. Exactly. Exactly. And they say they did an experiment. Scientists did an experiment where they took a cow freshly deceased, and they observed it in a field for 48 hours. During 48 hours, there was post-mortem bloating. There was reports of saying um, incision-like tears had begun to form in the cow's skin that matched surgical cuts reported on mutilating ca- mutilated cows, while the action of blowflies and maggots reportedly matched the soft tissue damage observed in the mutilated cows, not explaining, though, how there was any absence of blood. So we did see uh, maggots and whatnot eating away the lips and the buttholes. We did see some bloating and some tearing, making very straight cuts, but they still could not explain where the flippity fluck the blood went. So what do you guys think? Is there a more terrestrial explanation of this? I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. So then other researchers and scientists came back and said, no, When a body bloats and skin tears, it doesn't always tear in a straight line. Your incisions and your cuts are not the exact same thing as surgical cuts. Surgical cuts from scalpels. The cow's hide does not split and simply disappear due to bloating. These pieces have been removed surgically. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of uh, a lot of ranchers dispute that there's more scientifically mainstream reasons besides these natural causes and hypotheses, saying that the grounds of mutilated animals often fall outside normal categories of natural deaths by predators or diseases. They say, we know what it looks like when a cow's face has been eaten off by a coyote versus being cut off with a laser or a scalpel. In some cases, ranchers have also reported that mutilated cattle were among the healthiest and strongest animals in their herd, almost like these alpha animals were being picked off on purpose. Targeted. Targeted, exactly. If we're going to take one, we're going to take the best one, damn it. So, I find this very interesting. I'm leaning towards the side of aliens. Yeah, I am too. That bloating shit, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But it's interesting because they say a lot of times these animals, uh, in rare cases, I should say, have been dropped from an extreme height and the bodies have almost been crushed. 
And many people say it's because the animals were in low orbit or zero gravity. When they returned to Earth, the gravity sucked the bodies down and crushed them. Some people say the aliens said, okay, well, we drank all the blood, and they kick it out the hatch, and it falls back down to Earth. (laughs) (laughs) And wasn't there, like, a couple of missing 411 cases where the body of the human was, like, rediscovered, Mm -hmm. and it had similar conditions to, like, the cows where, like, the blood was missing or... People were saying like the, where the blood had congealed was because that person would have been in zero gravity. Yes, there are cases like that, Preston. And because I know you'd ask that question, I'll have a couple of those in the end. <laughs> 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 so do you think it's aliens or do you think it could be something a little more sinister but a little more terrestrial at the same time? I'm, go- I'm going to go with Jerry. It's aliens. <laughs> but could it possibly be? Our own government. Dun, dun, dun. And I'm all about these aliens, and I'm all about these jellyfish, and that's what I want to believe. But I'm going to try to sway your opinion now, guys, because this might just make sense. Theories of the government involvement in cattle mutilations have been further fueled by black helicopter sightings near mutilation sites. Let's go back to the late 70s. On April 8th, 1979... Three police officers in Dulce, New Mexico, reported a mysterious craft which resembled a U.S. military helicopter hovering around hovering around the site following a wave of mutilation cases, uh, including 16 different cows. On July 15, 1974, two unregistered helicopters, a white helicopter and a black twin-engine aircraft, opened fire on a farmer Robert Smith Jr., while he was driving his tractor on his farm in Honey Creek, Iowa. The attack was followed by a rash of mutilations in the area and across the nearby border into Nebraska. Reports of helicopters' involvement have been used to explain why some cattle appear to have been, quote, dropped from considerable heights. And if you think about it, black helicopters are notorious for being damn near soundless. It's true. So what if, guys... These black helicopters were floating down, like in Alexander Hamilton's case, tying a noose around the neck of these cows and just flying away into the night. The hel- and then when they're done. The helicopters back then in his day? <laughs> well, right. <laughs> Touche, Stephen. <laughs> you found the plot hole. So this has to have had made thousands of really pissed off cows, right? Or some might even say... Really mad cows. That's a joke I put in there, and it's going to make sense. In the 1997 article, Dead Cows I've Known, cattle mutilation researcher Charles T. Oliphant speculates that cattle mutilations are the result of covert research operations into the emerging cattle disease outbreaks and the possibility these diseases could be transmitted onto humans. Enter the CDC and the NIH. And some other, you know, acronyms and abbreviations that I'm not going to go into. Part of the hypothesis, hypothesis, hypothesis of the U.S. government stepping in on these cattle mutilations is based on the allegations that human pharmaceuticals have been found in mutilated cattle. And on the necropsies show cattle mutilations commonly involve areas of the animals that relate to input, output, and reproduction areas. So let's pause and put a pin in that, and we'll get back to that little bit here in a minute. But the CDC has had a very keen interest in the Reston Ebola virus, 
which, um, you know, of course, many plain, uh, plainclothes military officers traveling around unmarked vehicles have been researching as well in facilities in rest on Virginia. And it says a lot of animals in that area near Reston were contaminated with highly infectious diseases. Now, let's move on to my, my ace in the hole and my way to sway your vote here. Additionally, in 2002, the NIDS report relates the eyewitness testimonies of two Cache County, Utah police officers. In this case, the area has seen many unusual cattle deaths, and ranchers had organized armed patrols to survey... With, um, to surveil the unmarked aircrafts, which they claimed were associated with livestock deaths. The police witnesses claimed to have encountered several men from unmarked U.S. Army helicopters back in 1976 at a small community airport in Cache County. The witnesses asserted that after, his heated, uh, after the heated encounter, cattle mutilations in the region ceased for about five years. Enter biochemist Colm Keller, who has investigated several purported mutilations firsthand and argues that mutilations are most likely clandestine U.S. government officials trying to track down the spread of bovine spongiform encephalopathy, <laughs> which is also known as mad cow disease. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. So a more likely answer here. And what this sounds like to me, guys, is basically the killings are conducted by an unknown agency monitoring the food chain to prevent another outbreak, outbreak, outbreak of bovine spongy form epilepsy <laughs> or mad cow disease that plagued England back in 1996. And if you remember, mad cow disease was pretty shitty and it was spread in part by feeding infected cow parts to more cows. You know Ugh. what I'm saying? Made a little bit of cannibalism here, a little bit of cannibalism. Yeah. Zombie shit, zombie cows. Right. Yeah. So if you remember back when this happened, there was a huge upset because they had to butcher, you know, hundreds of thousands of cows because of how bad the mad cow disease got, right? Mm-hmm. And beef prices went up. Everybody's like, holy shit, you're killing all the cows. And the government's like, uh, we kind of have to so we don't spread this to more people. Because basically we found out they weren't just killing and burying and burning up the cows. They were grinding them up into feed and feeding the cows cows. Soylent green is cows. And then that like, was Why would they ever the think that was a good idea? I don't know. It's a good question. Well, I mean, because it's cheap, right? Well, what are we going to do with all these cows? We'll save money on cow feed by feeding the cows to the cows. And we're America. We're full of bad ideas. Yeah. So although many of these affected animals were destroyed and their bodies were turned into fertilizer, much of the fertilizer was then shipped around the world, thus spreading the potential for another mad cow outbreak. And basically we could be on the verge of another mad cow outbreak. So here's where things get a little bit uh, interesting. If you look at cattle mutilations and you see that they primarily take place near the eyeballs, the lips, the guts, and the butts of cows, like I said before, what? The guts and the butts. The guts and the butts. Let's take that pin out real quick and look at this. Those are your ins and your outs. Your entry point where food goes in, your area in the body where food processes, and then the area that the food comes out of. 
So what if instead of aliens cutting out the eyeballs, the guts, and the butts of these cows, secretly the government has been having to monitor these animals for different disease control? Not only mad cow disease, but also all the pharmaceuticals, all the antibiotics, and everything else we put in cows. What if somewhere down the road, uh, Monsantos or any of these places, insert you know shitty um, hybrid food company here, what if they discovered, holy shit, we put something in these cows and it's causing their stomachs to rot away or it's making uh, mad cow disease 2.0? So we're finding master lots of cows and we're swooping down in black helicopters and we're taking these cows up and we are cutting the lips, the guts, and the buttholes out and then dropping these cows back down unexplicably. And then we're doing tests on the entry the middle and the exit points to find out exactly what these diseases or additives or blah, blah, blahs are actually doing to our cows. What if this whole time it was all done by the government to monitor the food and the digestion process of some of these foods? Well, even way back then, the seventies could have been, you know, I'm just saying it's a pretty (laughs) interesting uh, explanation. I think you're just trying to kill my dream of being able to walk around in a cow, <laughs> alien, asshole, hybrid body. <laughs> Killer shoes. What are those? Cow buttholes. <laughs> what are those? Oh, man. Good stuff. But yeah, I think that's really, really interesting. Basically, I'm swayed to believe that this could be the government and scientists analyzing the different chemicals we're putting into our animals, our livestock, our horses, our pigs, our sheep, everything else. Basically, a lot of the animals that we're eating as humans, what if we were putting some kind of chemicals in these animals and we're testing them to see exactly how these chemicals are affecting the animals? I think we need to get uh, Donnie on it, see what he has to say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, good stuff. So, um... You asked me a little bit earlier about um, the potential for human uh, mutilations, right? Weren't there cases of humans disappearing and then being found with strange anomalies on their bodies? Yep. Well, if we were to err on the side of aliens or just on, you know, human intervention, does this case and this scenario sound a lot like something we talked about a few episodes back that happened in some snowy, snowy mountains to a bunch of hikers? The Russians. Huh? It's already bizarre, the story of Dyatlov Pass, but if you think back, Presto and, and Stevo, some of these people were discovered to have parts of their cheek muscles cut out, cheek tissue removed, tongues removed, cleanly, mind you, not just eaten by a coyote or a bear, but actually cleanly severed from their mouths, eyeballs removed while the bodies themselves were in a strange mm, state of preservation. Well, shit. Uh Huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, another note here. Jonathan Lovett incident. (laughs) I sounded dumb. The Jonathan Lovett incident is one of the most bizarre cases on record of human mutilation. While on a search and retrieve mission in New Mexico in March 1956. Are you seeing a pattern yet? Fucking New Mexico. Yeah, they love it. Well, stay tuned. It's going to come back around. Fucking New Mexico. Sergeant Jonathan Lovett and Major William Cunningham seemingly ran into something other than the missile debris they were searching for. Cunningham had returned to the U.S. Army base wild with fright and a tail even wider than his eyes. Lovett was dead. 
He had gone to investigate a sand dune in the New Mexico desert, vanishing for a moment from his sight. It was then he heard screams almost as soon as he disappeared. Rushing over to the dune to see what happened to Lovett, Cunningham stated that a huge silver disc hovered over Lovett. Now caught in the grip of a snake-like creature, it dragged the young sergeant on board the airborne vehicle. Before Cunningham could act, the creature had achieved its aim, and both Lovett and the craft vanished. Most fully expected Cunningham to face murder charges, and he probably would have if it hadn't been for the fact that eventually the body of Lovett had been discovered. It contained a vast array of injuries and wounds, including the removal of his eyes, his ears, and his tongue, and every drop of blood had also been removed from the carcass. Similar to the Dyatlov Pass incident, although this happened way before. And then the last one here that I pin uh, I pinpointed was the, oh God, how do you pronounce that? Guarapiranga Reservoir Man and the Abel Boro. In 1988, in the place I just mentioned, Reservoir in Brazil, came the grim discovery of an unknown man. He had injuries that were almost identical in nature to those in uh, in mutilated cattle. Initial autopsy results indicated that he had been dead for several days. However, there were little, if any, signs of decomposition in his body. The injuries were horrific enough as they were precise. His corpse was completely drained of all the blood while the entire body bore purposeful removal of skin samples. On top of this, his tongue was neatly removed, as were his eyes and ears. Still to this day, the man's identity has been left unknown, and the case is one of the most brutal on record. Seven years before that, in 1981, also in Brazil, in the area of Panorama, a similar incident occurred. On this occasion, there were no doubt at least according to witnesses, a connection to a strange UFO sighting and the incident. The whole area had become awash with reports of strange objects in the sky. Locals referred to these strange aerial sightings as chupas, who would search the ground below for strange searchlights. Abel Boro would witness one of these crafts close up. Unfortunately, it was the last thing he would see. Along with his friend, Rumavar Ferreria, they noticed a spinning circle object above them. In a matter of seconds, it zeroed in on Boro and ejected a bright light that washed over his body. By the time his friend had returned with help, Boro was dead, his body devoid of every last drop of blood. So what in the name of tomfuckery is going on? Because there are cases, presto, just like the animal mutilations of human mutilations too. Aliens. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, so that's kind of all I got about cattle mutilations is basically there is a shit ton of livestock being discovered to have the eyeballs, tongues, lips, guts, and buttholes removed with no explanation as to what happened to them or where it took place or anything else. They're just simply in a state of decay and there's no proof, no footprints, no markings, no blood, no nothing. Hmm. And not a way to explain it. Eh, well, the only conclusion, aliens. <laughs> All right. <laughs> aliens. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, I think that's it as far as what I've got. Presto, our next, uh, our next topic. Well, actually, hang on. 
real quick, one other way to explain the cattle mutilations. Colts. A lot of people seem to think that it's just a bunch of crazy whack jobs wearing uh, togas who are butchering and mutilating these cattle for um, sacrificial purposes. Goddamn Satanists. Right. So it's a bunch of Satanist occultic doctors in the late 70s. <laughs> what do I think if the FBI was investigating that back then? Uh-huh. They would have found they were. it out. You had the satanic panic. You know, you had a little bit of one in the 70s. You had another one in the 80s. And that's what they blamed it on because it's easy to pinpoint something on Satan. Yeah. Okay. And it's – So that's that's when that came about. They were assuming mm-hmm. it was – okay, that makes sense. Right around that time, yeah. So they also claimed that this is not Satanists. It's not aliens and it's not government scientists. It's just a bunch of perverts who get off on mutilating cows and horses. Oh. Yeah, there is a small group of people who believe it is just people who get their jollies a lot like serial killers by mutilating the corpses of animals, and that's how they get off. Hmm. But that seems like an awful lot of people with an awful lot of surgical tools yeah. doing an awful lot of bad things to cats. A lot of work, yeah. Yeah, I mean – I would I would think that by now he would have caught some guy out there with his pants down, whacking away on himself and a cow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. That's what I got on cattle mutilations. It's fucking strange and creepy, and it could be a lot of different things. So I'm going to go with aliens. You're going to go with aliens? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. Aliens is what I want to believe, but the whole like government doing experiments on the bodies and the digestion, uh, digestion, and the exit and entry points. I think to me that sounds a bit more believable. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Steve? Aliens or assholes? Aliens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, just don't, I just don't see humans paying, uh, putting that much effort into something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being, if they were going to do that, they wouldn't be so like surgical, technical with it. Yeah, like, if they want. I mean, the that's my thought. Test all that they would just do it. Like, yeah. My other way of thinking is that if it were scientists, just come out and say it. Hey guys, we're really curious about the effects of this type of grain. Can we have a cow? Yeah. Yeah. But everybody knows it's cheaper to uh, rent a helicopter and a noose and abduct a cow from a pasture than it is just to buy a head of cattle, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, so. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Tight, tight. Well, Presto, why don't you jump on with the next one, man? You're going to tell us a little bit about the uh, Joplin spook lights. Yeah, so the the last time that we talked, we talked about old Chucky, you know, driving down the paranormal highway. Mm-hmm. And we had mentioned that he investigated the paranormal phenomenon known as the Joplin lights or the spook lights. And that, you know, got me really excited because I'm like, you know, that's something close to home. It's in our neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. It's not that far away from here. So I started doing my research. And, you know, one of the main websites is like JoplinLights.com. And Mm -hmm. uh, the first thing I read was the spook light often referred to as the Joplin spook spook light or trisate spook light is actually in Oklahoma Uh near the town of Quapaw. Right. And I'm like, well, fuck, that's, that's not really Joplin light at all. That's like (laughs) saying like, Hey, you guys heard about that uh, Roswell spacecraft? Yeah, man, that was in uh, Texas. You know, it's (laughs) like, well, why are we calling them the Joplin? It's not in Joplin, right? Right. 
And then it goes on to say, like, well, you know, you can see them from the east, but Oklahoma South, if you're in Joplin, it's still still not to the east. So <clears throat> let's move away from uh, you know Joplin. Let's not call them the Joplin lights anymore. Well, let's call them the you know the the Quapaw Spook lights. And, uh, you know, they were first seen uh, by Native Americans as they were walking the, the Trail of Tears in 1836. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first known account of them. The first official report occurred in 1881 in a publication called the Oz- Ozark Spook Lights. Mm-hmm. So what are they? What is it? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of simple. It's a giant fucking ball of light. It could be the size of a baseball. It could be the size of a basketball. It dances. It spins. It moves up. It moves down. You know, it hovers. It goes above treetops. It interacts with people. And uh, they say that sometimes it looks like somebody is hold like a ghost is holding a lantern by the way that it moves. So imagine like this invisible man that's just holding this, you know, this lantern. And the only thing you can see is the light. It has kind of like an orange fire color to it. <laughs> and uh, we've now had over a hundred years of reports of these damn things. And the best time to see them is anywhere between 10 p.m. and midnight. And uh, you just you just got to find the right spot, okay? Spot. <laughs> from now on, when I play Sea of Thieves and I see lights in the distance from pirate ships, I'm going to call them spook lights. Oh, spook lights. There you yeah, go, man. Spook lights coming from the northwest. <laughs> so let, let's talk about the naysayers, okay? Uh-huh. So what do the naysayers say that these damn things are, okay? Headlights. First thing, swamp gas, oh. okay? Pretty easy. So we got some swampy areas around Oklahoma, so it's, it's swamp gas. It's, it's Mother Nature letting a little tube, okay? <laughs> Simple as that. Second thing... Headlights, but it's not just headlights, Sean. It's headlights bouncing off of billboards because there's like this weird optical illusion, like a mirage. It's the the lights are bouncing off the real uh, reflectivity of the billboards, and it creates this weird optical illusion. Blah blah blah. Uh-huh. Okay, electromagnetic energy that is being released by earthquakes. So you know, like the 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 crust are sitting there rubbing next to each other, and it creates this big ball of energy, and it pops out of the ground, and boom. You know, spook light. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then the last thing is the Willio the Wisp. Uh-huh. And uh, you said that uh, you were going to explain what that was. Yeah. So the Willow the Wisp is also kind of known as like a spirit or a fairy or a ghost light. And so, yeah, the idea is that you can sit in your car from wherever the hell you are, Joplin, Missouri, or Papanaw, Oklahoma, or wherever, and you see these dancing lights. And some people say it is a spirit or an entity called Willow the Wisp. Now, the term oh. Willow the Wisp comes from the first word wisp, meaning a bundle of sticks or paper, sometimes used as a torch, and the name Will, thus meaning a spirit, Will of the Torch, or also uh-huh, known as uh-huh. a jack-o'-lantern. And these are both terms describing balls of light or entities carrying balls of light. So... The old school folklore belief is basically that um, uh, spirits or sprites are doomed phantoms and they are are basically stuck traveling the world holding lights. And the protagonists mainly are guys named Will or Jack who are doomed to haunt marshes trying to lure people in with misdeeded lights. The Dictionary of Fairies refers to a man named Will the Smith who is the Fresh Prince of the Bel Air. 
(laughs) (laughs) No. This guy named Will the Smith was a wicked blacksmith who was given a second chance by St. Peter at the gates of heaven when he first died. But um, he said he has such a bad life, he ends up being doomed to wander the earth. The devil provides him with a single burning coal which to keep himself warm, and then he then uses this to lure foolish travels into the marshes. So some people believe this is a spirit of Will the Smith trying to lure travelers and onlookers into the forest and the woods to then kill them or to give their spirits to the devil in exchange for his freedom. Now, the one I like to believe more is we're not seeing Willow the Wisp or the spook lights we're seeing a gentleman by the name of Drunk Jack or old Stingy Jack, who was a near dweller and a drunkard and a bit of a bastard. And when he finally died, the devil came to collect his soul. And old Stingy Jack says, well, Mr. Satan, my final wish is for one more drink, but I ain't got me a coin. But if you'd kindly turn yourself into a piece of gold, I can use it to buy myself one last pint. And the devil says... Eh, what the shit? I got all the time in the world. So the devil turns himself into a gold coin. Jack snatches it up off the ground and puts it in his pocket next to a crucifix, thus preventing the devil from ever returning to his original form. Now, old stingy Jack wanders around town, you know, with a pip in his step saying he just beat death. And the devil finally says, oh, Jackie boy, I'm getting tired of being a coin in your pocket because it kind of smells like farts down here. So... I'm going to give you 10 more good solid years if you just let me turn back to me original form. And so Jack says, eh, what the shit's 10 more good years. Bada boom, bada bing. And he throws the coin out in the dirt and the devil pops up. They shake hands and then he disappears for 10 years. Now, old devil comes back one day and says, stingy Jack, it's time to take back your soul because your time is now expired. And Jack says, well, shit. Okay. Well, would you do me a favor? I seem to have left my hat up in that tree. Would you mind climbing up that tree and getting me my hat? And then we'll go on down to hell. So the devil says, ah, what the shit? It's a hat. Sure. The devil scurries up the tree, grabs the hat. Meanwhile, he looks down and old Jackie boy is carving a crucifix into the tree. And the devil looks down and says, damn it, you tricked me again. And he says, yep, you can't get down if I don't remove the cross. So then the devil says, well, fuck, that's fine. I forgive you of all your misdeeds if you just take it and, you know, cut off that cross and let me back down. So then Jack lets him back down. Meanwhile, St. Peter says, you know, you're a smart guy, but you're also a bit of a bastard. So because you're such a bastard, you can never get back to heaven. So Jack lives the rest of his days and he finally dies of wicked old age And he's denied entrance to the pearly gates. And so he says, well, ain't this the shits? I guess I'll go back down to hell for the third time. Third time does a charm. So the devil answers the door and says, well, hey, Jackie boy. Remember that time you put me over the barrel and turned me into a coin and then you threw me up into a tree? Well, how's this for a slice of fried gold? He gives him two middle fingers and says, here, here's a piece of an ember from the fires to light your way. And you're doomed to wander the earth for the rest of eternity between the twilight with nothing more than this burning ember to light your way. So Jack places the ember into a carved up turnip to serve as a lantern. And he has spent his life ever since wandering the forests and the marshes of the world. I.e. old Jack is the 
spook light in Joplin, Missouri. Hmm. Well, shit. Uh, you know, the naysayers say that uh, Will-O-The-Wisp is a uh, name for a luminescent event created by rotting organic matter. <laughs> oh, that but, too. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I like your story, so, you <laughs> right. know, yeah. we'll go with that. On a side note, everybody thinks a jack-o'-lantern is actually a pumpkin with a candle in it. No, the original jack-o'-lantern was a carved-up turnip with an emery coal inside of it. Well, shit. It almost, said, it almost sounded like I said colon. So somebody yeah. might think the original jack-o'-lantern was a uh, cored out horse's butthole with an ember in it. Did you, did you <laughs> guys see all these legends and lore? Yeah. Legend tells of a miner whose cabin was attacked by Indians while he was away. Upon his return, he found his wife and children missing. And it's oh, said no. to continue looking for them along the road, searching with his lantern. Or Ooh. others say the spooklight is the ghost of an Osage Indian chief who was decapitated in the area and continued to search for his lost head. With a lantern held high in his hand, kind of like in Harry Potter. Oh uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty cool. I mean, what did they have that nearly near nearly headless Nick? Yeah, nearly headless Nick. Yeah. That's uh-huh. cool. And see, like everything else, blame it on the Indians, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, because when um, damn when Indians, fought, when uh, Preston was like, "Yeah, why are, why are they called the Chop Lights? It's nowhere fucking near it," and he's like, "I was going to say, yeah, look, they're taking it from the taking it from the Native Americans because." <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm butchering that, but that's in obviously in Oklahoma and Mm -hmm. this is all the way in Joplin. And they're like, well, everybody knows of Joplin. So they know it's kind of like a bigger city. Right. So more domesticated town. And that's probably what it is. People in Joplin can see the lights, but the lights technically are going on in Oklahoma. Is that what you said, Preston? Yeah. They're just trying to front. Trying to claim for their own. (laughs) Um, The other thing I found that explains it, the last story I found was, um, again, uh, Native American uh, folklore. Basically, there were two uh, teenage Native American um, kids that were in love and they were both murdered. A little Romeo and Juliet story. Yeah, they were both murdered and they are doomed to find each other looking for eternity with nothing more than two lanterns to light their way. So the multiple lights you see are basically the spirits of the Native Americans trying to find each other. Yeah, but you got to give that story a little bit more detail because the the reason why they got the, the that they died was that uh, so that they they fell in love, mm-hmm. but uh, the the young man couldn't pay the dowry that the father was expecting. So imagine like this Indian chief and. You know, he's talking about little Pocahontas or a little squall, and he's like, you know, if you want to marry my daughter, like, I'm going to need, like, five cows and, like, a bow and arrow, and the only thing this guy had was, like, a spear, and so they're like, fuck it, you can't get married. So they run off together, and they're, uh, they make it all the way to the river, and the the, the chief and all the, the engines are behind them, and then they're like, fuck it, let's jump in, and they die, and then, uh, you know, their spirits are doomed. <clears throat> But y'all jumped ahead of me on that because that was going to be, you know, my segment called Now from the Quack. But uh, (laughs) that's cool. You know, that's how we roll here on Pixelated Paranormal. But but let's discount some of the scientific facts here because I like the quackery side of things, okay? (laughs) So when we talk about, like, you know, swamp gas and things like that, so these lights have been seen for over a hundred years, okay? Uh-huh. And during those hundred years, they've been seen during extreme weather conditions. So think about it for a second. It's raining like a son of a bitch, and then Mother Nature farts. Is that fire going to stay alight? No, it's going to go out. But these stangs don't go out during the rain. They're they're still going. They're moving up. They're moving down. Uh-huh. Uh, we talk about how like uh, you know it's a uh, car lights and tail lights. 
And uh, the, there's this group that uh, you know I'd mentioned before we s- started recording that uh, they're called the the Boomers. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of old farts that are uh, professors at Oklahoma State University, right? And uh, they basically they they track down where people in Oklahoma and Quapaw see the lights the most. And there's like this hill, and right next to the hill. There, there is a giant radio tower, and it's got some blinking lights up top. It's got some blinking lights down below, and then off into the distance, there's like a, a little like museum or like a parking lot for like a rec center, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they park their car there. And from that angle, when you're looking at the from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill, if somebody's in that parking lot and they have their lights on. Uh, the car lights on, their the brake lights on, or whatever. It creates this optical illusion of floating lights, and so that's mm. it. That's the end of the video on YouTube. They're like, "We have solved the mystery. <laughs> the lights have been so- no, the fucking lights haven't been solved because obviously you haven't heard the rest of the tales." And that's where I'm going to go next. Since we got through the other quackery, <laughs> we're, we're gonna. Well, I take that back. First of all, I want to give a shout out to Chuck who inspired this episode. Chuck, if you're listening, I need you to write this down, okay? These are the directions to the spook lights. So from I-144, Chuck, take exit 4 to Highway 86 South. Follow approximately 6 miles to the junction route BB. Are you getting this, Chuck? Turn right on BB Highway and follow the road until it ends. Turn right again. Go 1 mile. Turn left, Chuck, on E-50 Road, also known as Spook Light Road. And approximately one to two miles down that and the darkest spot that you can find, Chuck, that's the best place to wait for the spook lights. I'm gonna Google I'm gonna Google map it on the iPhone. Based on those coordinates. This will be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's get to some uh, stories from people who have uh, you know, experienced the these spook lights. Mm-hmm. And uh so this is one and it it didn't give a name or anything, <laughs> but it says I was doing some walking down memory lane this evening and came across your website about the old Hornet spook light. Your site seems to be one of the few that is updated, and I thought I would share my story about the spook light. My dad was born in Seneca near Hornet and Joplin. In fact, our family cemetery is in Hornet, generation of folks who lived and died in the prairie. It is a really amazing place, and my dad is something of an adventurer, and I think he got that from his mom. She would tell us amazing and hilarious stories of cows jumping through barn windows and wagons turning over and dumping everyone out on their way to the church and surviving countless tornadoes and blah, blah, blah. And then turning up mutilated on our front porch. Yeah. But I remember my grandmother telling me of, of her story of the spook light. It seems that when she was in high school, it was common for buses to take tourists and locals to see the light. The night that she went out, they had a truly close encounter. It seems that the light not only appeared, but actually came down toward their bust, rested on the hood, and then burst into a bright, uh, blinding light, and then vanished. Okay? Hmm. So, again, if it's fucking headlights off into the distance, then it wouldn't be able to rest on the hood of your car because headlights off in the distance is an optical illusion. This rested on the fucking hood of the bus and exploded. So again, boomers, wrong. <laughs> so could it have been yeah. ball lightning? I don't know. Probably. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to get all science, but, you know, we're we're going the quack route, okay? I'm no boomer, but. <laughs> yeah. 
So she goes on to say that uh, in the late 70s or 80s, when uh, she was with her dad, she remembered a uh, another encounter with the lights. And she was saying, we watched a car drive down the road toward the light. The light was above the car as it passed under it, and the light was brighter and larger than the taillights receding in the distance. So I hardly think that you could explain it away as just headlights and optical illusions. It's crazy because okay, whatever uh, I typed in the coordinates and it's literally right on the corner, like right on the road that divides yeah, yeah. Uh, huh. Oklahoma, Kansas, and um, Missouri. It's nuts. It's not too far from the uh, Native American tribe I'm part of, ah. Miami Nation. So that's that's crazy that it's yeah. It's probably Quapaw is probably I don't know maybe twenty minutes, thirty minutes away. It's weird. Yeah, it's like three hours away from us. It'd be cool to go down there and see if we can see something. It'd be tight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we should do it. So this is this is my last story here. This is from another uh, person on this website. I've seen it with a big white light and a small green one below it, as well as sometimes appearing as a red or yellow orange colored orb. I believe at one time Reader's Digest came out with a story on <laughs> it in the late 50s or early 60s. On another occasion, my father took me and all of our friends out into the country where we had a bizarre experience. It will make you believe almost anything. At this place, there was a fence upon a land where an Indian and his wife were said to have been killed by a white man. According to the legend, the Indian stated before he died that he and his wife would always be around. At that fence, Dad had had us hold our hands out with a piece of bread over the fence. Suddenly, we felt something taking the bread from our hand. A coyote. Even with a flashlight, you could see that. <laughs> a liftless cow. Yeah. You could <laughs> see that one second it was there, and the next second the bread was gone. This was a very scary experience. <laughs> it threw the me. bread at the kid, like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? Where's the jam? Like, <laughs> white bread? You fucking yeah. kidding me with this white bread bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what the fuck am I going to do with some white bread? The fuck is this shit? Give me a Peter or something yeah. shit. Well, <laughs> redacted. <laughs> oh, shit. So so things we've learned about the spook lights, uh-huh. they're not in Joplin, uh-huh. and uh, they're probably not created by cars. And they don't like white bread. No, they don't like white bread. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the Joplin spook lights are kind of like other ghost lights, like the Marfa lights in yeah. Texas and some of those other things, so... Huh. Interesting. I just want to see something like that, man. Because, like, you guys know, I never, I've never had any paranormal experiences. Yeah. I'd like something like that that would probably be kind of easy slash common to see. And people also report too that, like, when they when they find the lights on the highway, they'll try to catch up to it. Yeah. But then the light disappears, and then when they look in the rearview mirror, the light is behind them, and then they'll stop. It's like the light passes through the car. <laughs> Disappeared. It's giving them the finger. Yeah, and then it's in front of them again. And so there, it's like this constant like cat and mouse chase. Like the, the light is intelligent. Like it has an intelligence yeah. to it. So that's, that's uh, you know, that's interesting. Well, there was a story on Unsolved Mysteries too about a train conductor, a haunted trainway. And it was said to be uh, the ghost of an old man with a lantern. And he'd walk down the train tracks towards trains. And trains had actually slammed their brakes on, uh, fearing there was another train coming their way. And then they'd finally like, you know, the the guy, the conductor or whatever, driving the train, he'd throw his hands up ready for impact and they'd just pass right through the light. Ugh, that'd be fucking terrifying. Yeah, it'd be fucking scary as shit, so. Oh, man. Well, hell, it's been almost two hours. I think it's going to be a solid two hours when I wrap up these uh, 
these listener stories because Steve, you said you wished uh, you wished you could see something on your own, but uh, I've got a couple people here who wrote in that told us some some shit they saw on their own. So, cool, let's hear it. <laughs> I've been meaning to read these for a while, and uh, I think they're gonna relate kind of to the whole UFO alien phenomenon here. Cue the scary music. Thank you, sir. Um, first off, this one is called UFO sighting and loss of time. It was morning, and I was headed to school. My drive was about half an hour. So I'm driving along, and I turn up to go up this old small hill, and I see a glint in the sky. For reasons unknown, I feel like I need to pull over, which is honestly something I would never do. So I drive to the top of the hill, and park next to one of those little rural electrical stations. And they're all fenced in with huge chain-link fences. Anyway, I'm in my car, and I see this glint. I pull over, and I actually see the generic flying saucer. It's not moving. There's no sound. I'm just fixated on this shiny metallic thing suspended distantly in the sky. I had never, and still have never, seen anything like it. To be suspended and not moving up, not making any sound, I have no idea how long I was there, when it suddenly disappeared silently. It was gone and suddenly... Oops, sorry. One second I was staring right at it, and it was just gone. I was taken aback, because I didn't honestly understand what I had just seen. I got back in my car, and I drove as fast as I could, trying to process what the hell I had just witnessed. I can still remember being very afraid and speeding to get into town, because, well, there's people in town, and if there's people in town... I wouldn't be alone, and I was afraid to be alone by myself on that road. Now this is possibly unrelated, but I did relate both events after I found out that loss of time can be an effect of alien interference, as it were. I hesitate to assume abductions because that carries out a lot of weight and I have no recollection of what happened during the lost time. Anyway, once I was hanging out with a friend in the same general area on an evening and we were driving from one friend's house back to another's. We were... uh, And we lost about 15 minutes of time. I only remember because we were... Shit. I only remember because we left friend number one's house. I looked at the clock on my dashboard because she had to be home at a certain time. By the time we made it back to town and we were behind... If I could only read... By the time we made it back to town, we were behind in time by about 15 minutes or so. Could it have been an overreactive (laughs) Fuck. Could it have been? Could it have been an overactive imagination of a teenage girl? Certainly. But I did drive a lot down those back roads at all hours of the day and night and never had a single thing happen to me. Nothing like that has ever happened since. So it sounds like the second time around, she was driving down that same dirt road, and she can't account for 15 minutes. It's crazy. Yeah, that is kind of strange. I wouldn't drive down that old dirt road ever again if it was me. Every time I drive at night, I always keep my eyes up. Yeah, that's true. I keep my eyes up, and I get super weirded out every time I'm down like gravel roads (laughs) with no trees. Or like you and your wife driving home from... 
runs or concerts and you're listening to spooky podcasts oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) we were we were driving to uh st louis for the killers concert listening to the dear david story (laughs) you're like that was intense oh my god you gotta listen yeah oh you guys gotta read yeah you gotta read this even if it's fake you gotta read it was she listening to it too Oh yeah, yeah. I was driving, and she was in the passenger seat. Was she was freaking out about it too, or were you, she was, was just kind of yeah. We were both just glued to the fucking radio. Yeah, that's <sighs> okay. Well, that's the good. next that's one. good listener story. Yeah, that was yeah. Thank you very much for sending that in. This one's called my other earliest memory. I grew up in the South near New Mexico, in the early '80s. We lived in a nice suburb and a nice neighborhood. All the houses had well manicured lawns backyards with wood fences and people were nice they were kind (laughs) they were kind and smiled at each other it was a lot different back then than things are today people were just more friendly our neighbors were all very nice and got along really well some we knew really well some that lived behind us not so well we'd always wave at each other and say hello if nothing else I remember in our backyards Our fence lines or property lines met in with three other neighbors, like a four corners arrangement. All four corners of our yards came together to a point. I had to have been two or three years old, and I remember having a, quote, best friend, and I called him Nephew. He lived next door, catty corner to us, so our backyards were touching at that corner area. Our families waved a lot, but didn't really talk that much like they knew each other very well. He looked a lot like me, a little kid, but his eyes were a lot different. They were slanted. Spoiler alert, he wasn't actually an alien like I'm making it sound. He was Vietnamese. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Oh, good one. Okay. But even though our families didn't know each other, I used to always talk about playing with my friend named Nephew. But we didn't play in our backyards, or at each other's houses even. (laughs) I just got chills. We played in a room. A gray room with no walls or ceiling. Holy shit. One of my other memories, my other memory, is less pleasant. It's more terrifying than anything else. See, my other earliest memory is the sensation of floating up. Up towards the sky out of my backyard and into the clouds. I would be screaming, crying and reaching for trees, leaves, or power lines. Because come on, I was a kid. How would I know if I grabbed a power line, it would kill me? I was just so scared of floating, I would try to grab anything. This happened several times that I remember, during the day and during the night. At nighttime, I assume because everybody would be asleep but it even happened during the daytime when my parents would be taking a nap. I faintly remember being coaxed outside by just a need to go in the backyard. Nobody would be around, and I would just simply start to float. Very slow at first, and then quicker and quicker. At three years old, I knew what it looked like to look down at the city as I was going up like I was in an airplane. On a side note, New Mexico is very pretty at night with all the lights on when you're up among the birds. That's really weird. <laughs> He's giving all these like anecdotes. Right, they, he, she. Yeah. 
The last part of this memory is being up in a room. Like I said before, a gray room with no walls or no ceiling. It was warm and comfortable. I never felt scared because I was always there with my, quote, best friend, nephew. We would play with toys I can't really remember. I knew we weren't at each other's house because I'd never been inside nephew's house before. But I knew I was safe because we were together. The memory gets faded from there, and I'd always remember waking up the next morning with a faint memory of playing with nephew. As a two- or three-year-old, I'd babble a lot and just drone on and on and on about how great it was to play with nephew. I can't wait to play with my best friend nephew and blah, blah, blah. My parents would get agitated because they said, you don't have a nephew, you're too young. A nephew is the child of your brother or sister. And honey, your, your brother doesn't have any kids, he's five. So I'd get really mad insisting to my parents that no, I have a best friend, his name is Nephew, he lives behind us. We play together in the playroom. Not knowing the family who lived behind us, in an epilogue to the strange tale, I did find out years later that when they finally met the family behind them that moved away, shortly before they moved away, they asked, hey, we never got to really introduce ourselves, what was your son's name? And in a broken English accent, my dad told me, he said, oh, my son, his name is Nafu. So that whole time, I thought his name was Nephew, his name was Nefu. But yeah, I had a best friend who used to play with me, probably on board a UFO, in a creepy alien playroom. The end. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. I like how, I like how like, that sounds really terrifying. Right. He's like trying to grasp for trees and leaves and power lines. Fucking power and, lines and shit. And then he's like, oh yeah, by the way, it looks really beautiful at night. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> what it says, a three-year-old, I can tell you what it looks like to see the, the, the cityscape yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah that's... that's fucking nuts yeah that's holy shit good stuff i've been sitting on those for a little while wanting to get back to an alien episode so there we go yeah that's really good if it'd be insane if he could find that nefu dude yeah like do you remember any of this oh my god (laughs) do a kickstarter let's get that video made (laughs) find my (laughs) nephew.com That sounds like a creepy porn site. Do not go there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. Don't go there. Redacted. Yeah. <laughs> Redacted. That's odd. Man, them are like two wonderful stories. Are, are you my nafu? Yeah. Are you my nafu? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, man. My eyes got to watering whenever he said it was uh, up in a room with no walls or ceilings. Because that's kind of like that story that one dude was talking about uh, when he saw that kid strapped to that table. It was a, a foggy room with no walls or discernible ceiling, just a room. Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I, um, not to take away from the listener stories, but I introduced my sister and her fiancé to the alien abduction uh, VHS2 tape. Oh, shit, yeah. And, like, they were, like, completely, like, their mouths were just open the entire time. They were like, uh, what yeah. in the fuck? <laughs> like... Yeah, uh, that is yeah, a scary cool. ass fucking that that we said it before. That segment is probably more terrifying than three quarters of the alien abduction movies. Yeah, you it's know? really good, especially that one scene where like they're in the water and you just see that alien for like a glimpse of a second. It's like, oh, my yeah. God, they were they were so freaked out. It was great watching them. Watch. Like, it was funny. Like, it was one of the things where I've seen it a bunch of times, so I know yeah. it's coming. So I'm like just watching their reactions. And they're just yeah. glued to the TV, and their mouths open. Uh, they have a really good surround sound system. Oh man! So like, oh yeah, when when that 
when there's scene where they're in the house and like everything shakes <laughs> like all that crazy noise like it's just all around them it's like freak it was freaking us out it was so cool that's crazy but like oh, yeah. just hearing these listener stories man like they need to make more abduction movies and yeah oh yeah stuff like that because that's the f- that to me that's the only thing that scares me like i can watch any kind of scary movie be about ghosts or whatever whatever mm-hmm. that stuff don't scare me but like you put alien abduction in there and make it really believable shit oh yeah i think that's the ultimate um i don't know ultimate betrayal or ultimate like invasion is you're in if it if it is real if it is true you're in your home and like that's where you're supposed to be safe and somebody can just sneak right in with uh, uh disobeying any law of physics walking through a wall and just whisking you away apparently sucking you up into the new mexican sky and <laughs> your fucking parents are taking a nap yeah yeah that's fucked up that's weird Whew. seems like a lot of weird shit happens in new mexico well i you know what it's been about two hours we should probably plug a little bit of stuff and get out of here unless you guys have anything else to chit chat about this time around nope good to go cool well um i want to go first real quick i have a a little bit different of a plug um if you guys live in the wichita area check out this new shop that popped up recently called vortex it's kind of like this uh souvenir shop here in wichita and like a like a little art store boutique knickknackery but they've got like so much cool shit in this place. They opened it up recently and they've got shirts and and art and prints and art prints, design prints, um art books, all sorts of just really cool stuff, local art, um just all sorts of really rad stuff and I probably could go broke in there spending money on tons of stuff I don't know that I actually needed, but I needed it pretty bad, so <laughs> It's called Vortex Souvenir, and it's on 1640 East 2nd Street North here in Wichita. Go in there, check it out, buy some rad art, some cool stuff. Tell them Pixelated Paranormal sent you. It won't get you a damn thing because they've probably never heard of us, but it'll be funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, as always, check out our buddy Mark's podcast, Pixelated Sausage, where he talks about all sorts of uh, art and uh uh, pop culture, anime, stuff like that. He is our silent uh, warrior behind the scenes that helps us out with the show. So check that out. Steve, what you got? Uh, you can check out my uh, podcast, Oh Indeed, O-H-H-H-H, Indeed. Uh, we have a Facebook group that people post stuff on and all that stuff. Check us out. And um, yeah, basically it for me. I haven't, listened, uh, yeah. I haven't listened to many podcasts lately. Yeah? Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I like to, but at work it's been pretty crazy lately, so I haven't been able to like put on the headphones while I do stuff and listen like I usually do. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer to jump onto a podcast and then get you know distracted by something and realize you just missed forty five minutes of what the hell they just said. Mm-hmm. It just becomes ambient sound. So, mm-hmm. Presto, what do you got, man? Sports cars. Oh. Good save. Podcast I've never listened to, but uh, it's our, one of our partner podcasts, so go check it out. <laughs> Learn about sports cars. <laughs> one day I'll listen. Yeah. One day I will. Hell yeah. And then if you've got a beard like the three of us, go check out BigDomsBeardBomb.com and peruse his site of wares. He has the best beard oils and especially beard bombs that you can get that money can buy. And if you don't happen to have 
enough shillings in your pocket, you can save 20% on his website with your purchase by using the promo code PXLPARA. That's 20% off your entire order. So if you need to get yourself a a nice size 10 of Beard Balm, why 20% off is nothing to shake a stick at. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Check out the classic scent. Mm -hmm. Classic and then uh, sweet tobacco is pretty damn great. Yeah. Steve, what 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 flavor did you say you're going to go for next? The cedar. Yeah, the cedar one. Yeah. I want to try it because I uh, Sarah's fiance she ha- uh, he has a like a four scent of this one brand and I really like it. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, dude! But I want to try. I want to smell that sweet tobacco. It sounds kind of cool. I'll let you sniff my beard tomorrow at the concert if you want. <laughs> I'll sniff your beard Ooh. in the day. <laughs> I'll sniff it at night. I'll sniff it during the day when your parents are taking a nap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that got weird. So if anybody else has anything else, let's say it. If not, let's jump out of here. Yeah. Um, it's going to be too late by the time you listen to this, but there's a Comic-Con going on <laughs> Wichita this weekend. <laughs> yeah. So I unfortunately can't go because um, I work, but yeah, Air Capital is always a fun time. And it yeah. gives us plenty of time to be ready for the Wichita-Con, which we need to do the booth thing if we're going to do that. Yeah, yeah, we will, man. I think we'll get something set up for that, and then uh, we'll do a live episode. And Oh, shit fire. Save the matches. I want to give a special shout-out to the CD Trade Post uh, down south on South Seneca. I went in there. Yeah, I went in there and and caught up and uh, got to meet him, and it was just a really nice time. And I I got to meet Leslie and chat with her a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it was great. It was cool to meet some listeners and – also, to buy some really good priced Blu-rays, man, uh, I picked up Drive and the new It for like 20 bucks for the set, so that's not too shabby. Heck yeah. yeah. And I Hell mean, yeah. brand new condition. Could have fooled me. I thought they were brand new. So yeah, check them out. Wonderful people. It's a great store. Um, why pay full price for DVDs and Blu-rays when you can go buy them there? Yeah, and this is uh, its funny because they just posted uh, the actual company of CD Trade Post. Um they're like doing this like big, like, I don't know, article, like looking back through the years and basically talking about Pat Oswalt was always says that, um, physical media stores, whether it be comics, movies, books, games, whatever, uh, they're important because the, you can get on Amazon any day now. And a lot of people, we're all, we're all guilty of this. We all look yeah. for reviews, dig, especially digital reviews, either whether it be YouTube or actual written review, whatever, or just Amazon product page reviews, mm-hmm. going into an actual store, talking to a person, and then suggesting you suggesting suggesting to you like a new album or a new movie or a game is like so important. And Trade Post is always all about that. Like, like record, they're not there to make sales; they're there to get you into something new. And I and especially Leslie's store, they are perfect at that. Oh yeah, dude. That's yeah. I I like the. The leisure of buying stuff on Amazon. I'll never not buy some things on Amazon, but I'm still super old school, man. Like banking, I want to go in there and see a person and hand them the money and just have a small semblance of human interaction. Yeah. And yeah, going in there, it it was great just to walk in and and talk to somebody. And I mean, it it was cool to talk about, you know, about their their store and talk about the show and just just chat, man. It's nice. And it was cool because I walked in there and I'm not trying to really like just, you know, really – 
oversell this place, but I mean, people were happy and stoked. They're talking about movies. They're talking about their favorite horror movies with each other. And just, oh, have you seen this? Have you seen that? And I mean, it's just, it was really rad to go in there and just hear people talking about stuff as opposed oh, yeah. to, you know, in a society where you walk into a store and everybody's self-absorbed and just kind of in their own world. It was cool to go in there and just chat with somebody and see perfect strangers just talking to each other about movies. So it was really, really great. Hopefully Thank we don't uh, lose that in the future. I agree. Cool. Well, Thanks, Leslie. We, yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, we could ramble on for another hour or we could jump off of here. <laughs> yeah, I am tired. I got to be tired up too. At it's just now 1 a.m. Wish me luck. What's that? So I'm going to garage sales in the morning, so wish me luck that I can find Sean that Ouija board that he wants. <laughs> yeah. I'll get a burn barrel. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Oh, God. Right, Preston? Yeah, damn right. I'm going to make you that glow-in-the-dark resin one, baby. <laughs> Dude, I don't mind the planchette. Um, He's going to wear the planchette around his neck while planchette. he goes out and looks at the spook lights. <laughs> Preston a, would be the planchette spook light. Wearing a tactical vest. Yeah. Salt, so speaking salt, of the speaking garlic. of the planchette, uh-huh. I, I've been working on the uh, miniature glow in the dark planchette keychain. Uh-huh. So maybe uh, Wichicon this year, all the listeners in the Wichita area, if you come out, we might have a planchette pixelated paranormal keychain for oh, you. Keen, wouldn't that be cool? Hell yeah, that's what you've always wanted. Didn't know you needed. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Okay, this has to end. <laughs> yeah, I'm really tired. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time around. Yup. The cast that pixelated paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown, tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. You have two ways. One, email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we have that set up too. Dial us at 707-523-4263. Again, that's 707-523-4263. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Right, yeah, we're 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 all idiots here. So, um, yeah, you apologize, and that's the important part. <laughs> yeah, we don't need hate mail. Right? Uh, yeah, all hate mail can be directed towards Steve this time. That's a new one. Preston's inbox is probably full. <laughs>